morning church here we go can we give god some praise good to be in this house morning everyone here everyone joining us that has good morning um are you happy to be in the house of god man i'm uh some of you are so you are sure um i i'm blown away every time every time we gather together uh, i just there's something that the spirit of god um can do in your life that 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 nothing else can and i'm excited about that if you're here for the first time i want to welcome you um to our uh church to um our sunday morning service and for those that are joining us for the first time at our Haddon location soon to be collingswood location um which we're all excited about um i pray today that you get to see jesus more more clearly um, before we begin, I, I want to pray before we begin and, and continue in our series, Dwell. Everybody say Dwell. I know you're a little bit quiet this morning. That's okay. But the more you interact with me, I promise you the better, the more you'll receive um, in these environments. Uh, I, I wonder what you came expecting today. Like, you don't, you don't need to ask the person next to you. Just ask yourself that. Like, what did you come expecting today? Someone like, I'm looking for my future wife. <laughs> that, that's great. That's honest, okay? Someone like, I'm looking for my future spouse. That's fine. Great. I love it. Um, I always encourage people um, to find someone who is in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Um, there's one thing that um, is a commonality in all of the marriages that I want my marriage to emulate, and there's this passionate pursuit of Jesus um, that keeps the stability of and the significance of their marriage in a healthy place. And um, if you're trying to find your spouse, don't look too hard. Just look at the people who are worshiping uh, Jesus in the middle of worship, not the ones who are just staring at their shoes. I'm telling you, those who are worshiping Jesus are the ones you need to chase down. It's just I'm dropping that on on all you guys, free, free advice, okay? Um, but today, as we continue in the Dwell series, um, we're going to take a bit of a turn um, in the uh, discussion today. And over the past few weeks, I don't want to recap it because I don't want to spend so much time doing that. We have a short time today uh, with one another. But uh, we're going to, to continue and moving from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Now, we began our discussion talking about the third person of the Trinity, um, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And we want to fully understand understand the Spirit of God, because um, it's imperative um, that we know who our, not only who our God is, but how we are empowered and filled with the Spirit of God so that we can do and be all that God has called us to, to do and to be. And sometimes in the discussion of the Holy Spirit, things get weird and it's difficult to fully understand. And I have to be very honest. Um, I remember being raised in church and having these perpetual questions about the Holy Spirit. And I remember having these questions even as I went off into seminary saying, okay, great. Now, when I get to seminary, all of my questions are going to be answered and I'll be able to outline it all out and it's going to be perfect and I'll be able to explain it to everyone. And then I left seminary and some, some things, something unique happened. Um, I had some questions answered and other questions formed and I came to a place of understanding to to this point, that everything we need to know from God is revealed in His Word, okay? Everything we need to know. But there are some things that we don't have um, the ability to fully comprehend. Like, let's just be honest with one another. There's a lot of things we don't How How does it happen that you and I can confess our sins um, before God, have a repentant heart, and the Spirit of God dwell within our soul? But we believe it. 
We have faith that it happens, that there's a transaction, that God is faithful to forgive those who ask, and he comes into our life. But as you read the Old Testament, we've come to realize one thing about the Spirit of God, that it departed in the garden with Adam and Eve. Remember that? When sin came, the Spirit of God left because it could not be in communion with humanity because sin had entered in the disobedience between Adam and Eve. Do you remember that part? And then as we continue to follow, the Spirit of God desired to be with his people, so he gave them um, specific laws to live under. And he started to explain to them the tabernacle and how to construct it and how to do all these things, how to sacrifice animals and the blood of the animal sacrifice would be an atonement of the sins of the people. And once all of those things were worked out, then the presence or the spirit of God would dwell within the tabernacle. And then we find, if you fast forward, King David's son, King Solomon would build a permanent, not a temporary kind of like tent tabernacle, but a permanent temple for the spirit of God to dwell in. And we know that through Scripture, we see it happening with Samson and Elijah and all of these prophets and different judges. We see that the Spirit of God would fall on people, but just for a temporary period. It would enable them to do something significant for God, and then the Spirit of God would depart. But then as we read and we see in the, in the, in the New Testament, something significant happens. Something profound happens. It's it's. The Spirit of God no longer dwells within a tabernacle, no longer dwells within the temple. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. We've been talking about this verse every single Sunday. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In John chapter 7, verse 37, I want to read to you this passage of Scripture. It's, a, um, it's an interesting Scripture, and I want you to listen to it carefully. This is what Jesus says, it says um, in, in relation or to understand the Holy Spirit. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Now, time out. Uh, I don't recall this happening much, but um, Jesus would often speak to large crowds, but it never said that he stood and shouted. Uh, here it says that he shouted, stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me, he says. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living waters, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Or other texts say he has not yet been glorified, which simply means um, that he had not yet been crucified, conquered and defeated death and ascended to God the Father. But you know, we know in Scripture that Jesus says, I need to leave. I need to leave. And Buddha's like, well, wait, what do you mean you need to leave? The Messiah, the Christ, why, why do you need to leave? And for some perplexing reason, he needed to leave because in his fullness and in his incarnation, in his body suit, earthly body suit, he says, I need to go so I could send you someone else, the Holy Spirit. 
but I, I can't say. I don't know why he couldn't say, but he says, I cannot be here. I need to ascend and be glorified with God the Father, and then the Holy Spirit will come. Now, we know there's a lot of different things and discussions about the Holy Spirit. When does it happen? How does one receive it? Does it happen at the point of salvation? Does it happen? Do you pray for it in a specific season for an anointing? This is what we know with, with clarity from the Scriptures, that when you confess with your mouth, and truly repent before God, the Holy Spirit comes within you and makes your soul or your heart new. The old is gone and the new has come. And Jesus says, all who thirst and call upon my name, rivers of living water will come from your heart. It's like this, this visual picture that like, I don't know how to not be peaceful. I don't know how to not be joyful. I don't know how to not forgive. I don't know how to not love those who persecute me, but I'm going to keep forgiving. I'm going to keep saying, thank you, God. I'm going to keep believing that God for me, not against me. Like these, these rivers of living water will come out of some. So I have this question for you. Sometimes you're like, well, that's just not me. Well, well, maybe you never really just repented of your sins. Maybe you never said, God, I, I forgive me. I repent of my ways and I give you my life. Now, I'm not here this morning to cause you to question your salvation because I believe it is by faith, by grace through faith that we receive it. That it is not a complex thing. It's a simple prayer. But sometimes I think many of us say it so that our, con our conscience is appeased, but our heart is never faithfully for it. So sometimes, and a reason I'd say that is many people will say, well, am I still going to heaven? Hold on, wait. So is that why you said yes to Jesus? Is to still serve yourself, but just to make sure that you could go to heaven. And sometimes I think the byproduct of knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, something changes in your spirit. Something, something changes. The way that I walk to church, it changes. My posture changes. My attitude towards it changes. Does it mean it's perfect and it's always right? No, but something changes in me. And Jesus says that there's going to be this, this rivers of living water coming from my heart. And I have to tell you something that, that even though I was part of church my entire life, and I remember sincerely confessing before God and repenting before God, I remember there was this season of my life where I actually asked to be filled with his spirit. Now, I know some of us are a little perplexed about this, and we talked about it over the weeks, but it's clear within Scripture that that there is, well, let me back up. It can confuse the heck out of you if you begin to read the, the Word of God as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. It can confuse you because in one story it appears this way, in another story it appears that way. In one story it, is, it appears this method works in the laying on of hands. And it goes a bit all over the place to where sometimes as the reader, you can just be like, I don't really know what's happening. Like, I don't know, do I pray this way? Do I pray that way? What do I need to do? Do I need to do something? Do I not? And I believe that if you have a sincere heart before God, that if you confess and repent of your sins, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your heart. I believe that. But then I also believe that you and I should have this earnest desire to have more from God. To have more from God. And, and I don't think it needs to be weird. I don't think it needs to be uh, crazy. I don't think it needs to have a specific prayer attached to it. But I believe that we should all seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. Listen to what it says in John chapter 14, verse 26. 
Christ says, but the advocate, this is a promise that Jesus spoke many times in the word, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Everything that Jesus was to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is to us today. John chapter 16, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Last passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift from for my father, that my father promised, which, ha, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to show you um, a short video that I believe will help you in better understanding all that has transpired in the first seven chapters in the book of Acts. I know sometimes as we read the Word of God, it's hard and sometimes difficult to follow along. So I got this video I want to show you to help better clarify the first few chapters of Acts. Pay attention. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke. But Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait, and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer. And thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind <laughs> or with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus's body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but the speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. 
Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community. But the bigger problem is coming from the outside. Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen, he's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute her by picking up rocks and smashing her to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement. Many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope, which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes. Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus's kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem, and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there, that's what the next section of Acts is all about. The Bible Project um, is a assortment of videos that basically unpacks the entire Bible. I want to encourage you before I continue in our discussion, if you um, are like me and you are more of a visual aid person to better understand the sequence and the summary of um, the stories of the Bible, go online to the, the version or the Bible app um, and it's free and all of the videos unpacking all of the books of the Bible are free and available to you. If, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels are an expression in the understanding of the life of Jesus, Acts can be summarized as the existence or the um, descriptions of the 
life of the Holy Spirit or its interactions with humanity. Um, Jesus was clear on one thing. While he had trained the disciples for the three years of his ministry here on earth, he was very, very, very clear about one thing. Do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift from my father. Don't leave. It's as if I know you watch these miracles. I know you watch me raise people from the dead. I know you watch me multiply fish and bread. I know you watch me do all of these amazing miracles and cast out demons and do all of these things. I know you watched me do that, but listen to me very clearly before we attempt to change the world with this message of salvation, um, you cannot leave. Jerusalem until you receive this gift. Now, I just ask these questions. If you and I are attempting to do something for God and actually advance the kingdom of God, I think it is imperative that you and I receive that which Jesus wanted his disciples to receive. And so some of us might ask, well, is that happen at salvation? We clearly spoke about the understanding of the Holy Spirit coming into our hearts at the point of salvation, but there is this feeling that transpires based upon us asking God, fill me with your spirit. And the byproduct of this church, the byproduct of it is not to just say, oh, I said a simple prayer. I said a simple prayer. No, no, no. The byproduct of this is boldness and confidence that, that is just peculiar to even people who know you. It's strange that people who know you, because you have this confidence. Peter was 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 a man um, that didn't always say the right things. He he didn't always do uh, the right things. But God used someone with insecurities, with weaknesses, to stand with confidence and boldness, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thousands came to know Jesus. Three thousand in one day. And then as we go to the next individual, we talk about Stephen. Stephen was such a peculiar person. He was not a disciple. He was not a pastor. He was not a prophet. He was a layman. He was, he was someone who honored God. He knew the word. He was an educated man. But the Bible talks clearly about how he stands to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 7. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, Stephen's speech, which, by the way, go to Acts 7 and read his speech. People were trying to persecute him, and he stood up and says, hold on, hold on. Let me just tell you something. And he literally began from the beginning of time from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, through all of the, 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 the heroes of the faith and went through almost the entire Bible in a summary, telling them how they missed Jesus in all of it. And it says when he had shared his speech, there were they, speaking of the religious leaders, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, listen to what it says, full of the Holy Spirit. There's a distinction there. It's not just with the Holy Spirit, but full of the Holy Spirit. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Something, church, this is it. This is it. This is what it's all about. The, the, the Holy Spirit and asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what it's all about. Listen, it's, it's having peace and joy when you should be stressed and anxious out of your mind. It's having the, the, the confidence to speak when everyone else is telling you to shut up. It's having the, the, the faith and the hope that, that all things will work for the good of those who love God. But everyone else is saying, you need to panic. You should be worried about what's happening in our culture today. 
It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to accomplish things for God. I don't know if you caught it, and maybe you didn't know this, but there's Saul who would become the Apostle Paul, who had an encounter on the Damascus Road with Jesus, was standing over Stephen, the first martyr recorded in Scripture, stoned to death, approving of his execution. And two-thirds of your Bible is written by that man. And a better understanding of the grace of God than no one ever goes too far to be rescued by the grace of God. No one ever gets too far from the reach of God where Jesus said, oh man, they're just too far away. I don't know what to do. Church, my prayer is that this house would be filled with Christians who are empowered and filled with the Spirit of God. And I don't know, I, I know that, that in Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul, or at times, um, uh, some of the disciples would go and they would lay hands on individuals to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they would just pray and they would receive it. This is what I know, is that if we earnestly seek God and desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he will give us the Holy Spirit and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I was so confused about that passage of Scripture. Obviously, you can read the beginning portion, and it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It sounds like it's a portion of rebuke and saying, don't do this, don't do this. No, he's actually using it as an analogy, as an understanding of the Spirit of God saying that how does one get drunk? We got to keep drinking. And then when you're not drunk, if you want to get drunk again, you got to keep drinking, right? It's just what people tell me. And um, the same with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know. This is why when someone says, I don't need the church or I don't need to be connected in groups or I don't need to serve or I don't need to do this. I wonder if the interactions that we have with one another, the encouragements that we give to one another, the worshiping of God together with one another, are they the things that actually allow us to be filled with the Spirit of God? Unpacking His Word, spending time in prayer, fasting, reading God's Word, are those the things that fill us with the Word of God? But the, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says that we need to constantly be filling ourselves with the Spirit of God. Can you say amen? Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. This is a good story to conclude and to summarize this understanding of those who seek to desire the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I know, trust me, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert in Jewish history or Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew. I don't. And I know what the Bible says in, in regard to the Holy Spirit. And I know that even at times it just seems confusing. It's hard to figure it out. And I know that those who desire to, for all the things that God desires to give us, sometimes we're always like we're questioning. And I don't believe God ever wants us to question his love towards us or his goodness. And I could tell you one thing, like as a parent, like I never want my children to wonder, like, does my dad love me today? Like, does my, is my dad going to be good today towards me? Like, is my dad going to give me good gifts today? And I think that comes in an understanding of the nature of our father in heaven. And just like, just like you, I often question sometimes the way that God sees me because of my own stupidity and my own mistakes. I say, well, maybe God is just 
frustrated with me. Maybe I just don't get it. And everyone else around me seems to get something. I feel like the only one in the room and I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't believe God sees us that way. And listen to what it says in Luke chapter 11, verse five. This is Jesus. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, carving it up. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to um, for him to eat. And suppose he calls you out of bedroom uh, or you, or he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I cannot help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for, for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because uh, because of your shameless persistence. Now listen to what it continues to say. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Your fathers, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? I think for many of us, I think we overcomplicate things when it comes to the Lord. And when you read through the Word of God, you always find that Jesus had this heart towards young children. And it was like, no, 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 forbid them not to come unto me. Forbid them not. Let, them, let, the, let the little children come. They talks about how our hearts need to be like little children. That we need to have like this faith that just trusts and always believes. And he needs to clarify this almost in a way for us to get a better understanding when we get older. He's like, hold up, you are sinful and um, you still know how to give good gifts to your kids. Like you, you still know how to give good gifts, but you're sinful. So how do you think I know how to give good gifts? And so he's saying, listen, if, if you ask the Father to receive the Holy Spirit, he's faithful to give it. So what I want to do, I want to pray that um, not only that God would bless you, but I want to let you know that here at Mantua and even at Haddon, if you want to be prayed for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, at the end of this service and as it concludes, there'll be people um, at the front of the room and in the back by the next steps to pray with you and for you to receive it. And I don't think we need to strive for things. And I think we need to strive to be loved by God. I don't think we need to strive um, to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's one, it's not a works thing. And I don't know why we always had to turn things in our relationship with God into works. Well, I'm not saying it prayer loud enough. I'm not passionate enough. I don't have enough faith. I need to, I need to fast longer. I need to, no, 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 it's not like that. It's just asking to receive it. But if you could bow your heads and close your eyes, let me pray for you. I just want to pray for you as you go this week that God's spirit would fill you and that you would have the confidence and the boldness that doesn't come from your own abilities or your own skills, or your own courage, but it's something that comes from the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for every person present, everyone here at Mantua, everyone at Haddon. And Father, we pray right now that this house, Father, would be filled with believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God enabled to be a witness for your kingdom, God. 
Father, when we should be anxious and stressed, Father, may peace and joy abound in our lives. When, when people say that we should be worried and we should be frustrated and we should be angry, Father, may peace abound in our hearts. Father, I pray for every single person that's present today. God, may you go with them. May you be with them. May you bless them, Father. May you give them all the territory in which your footsteps, Father, I pray that you would bless every marriage that's present, Father, every relationship, whether it's with uh, mother and daughter, whether it's with father and son, Father, whatever the relationship issues that exist in this house, Father, I pray that your spirit of forgiveness, that your spirit of restoration would go with us. Father, may we have the confidence to be used by you to, to initiate conversations, not to win a conversation, not to clarify a conversation, but to simply honor you and to show forgiveness and love towards those who are around us. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this house. Continue to do an immense work in our hearts. Father, we know that you don't work from the outside in, but God, you work from the inside out. So do a work that only you can do in our hearts as we go today. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And Salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me. Just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you. Find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.